Welcome back to Unwarp Reality, a podcast designed to help us see not through, but around the looking glass. Our goal is to help unpack the manipulation and bias prevalent in mainstream media reporting. If you're curious for more background, please take a listen to episode one, where we discuss in greater detail the motivation and goals for this project. As always, you can find it on our Substack or YouTube channels under Unwarp, that's U-N-W-A-R-P, Reality. I'm Liz, a cybersecurity specialist, cultural anthropologist, and world traveler calling in from Washington, D.C. Ooh, a new location. And I'm Becca, yes. a psychologist, leadership coach, and social critic still coming to you from San Diego. Nice. Are you getting ready for the holidays? No, I basically took about 20 minutes to set up all my Christmas decorations on Thanksgiving, so I'm done. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, then I guess you're already ready. I, on the other hand, still need to get a tree. We have mm. some presents wrapped, but they are just sitting on the floor looking a bit awkward. Okay. Well, have you been expecting them for holes in the wrapping paper? Uh, no, because you're not here and <laughs> I already know what's in all of them. So <laughs> all right, okay. no one would be poking holes. Fair enough. <laughs> so in the last episode, we talked about the shifting narrative with respect to bees being in danger and then just had some fun talking about bees and poop. Um, so today what we're going to talk about is another narrative that the media is trying to shift. Right. But this one is kind of opposite to the usual trend. So normally the mainstream media seems hellbent on taking normal life and turning every aspect of it into a crisis. But this time they're taking a real problem, one which is observable with our own eyes, and they're trying to tell us that it doesn't exist. So the ultimate in gaslighting. Right, exactly. Nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Yeah, but I see it. No, 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 you don't. No, yeah, you I don't. do. Okay, but let's clarify what exactly are we talking about? <laughs> okay, so we'll get to that. But just to to say, we're going to visit our old friends, the Atlantic, again today. Mm -hmm. And I I want to caveat this with they have in fact started to broaden their perspective on a number of topics. So they are kind of inching back towards. Uh, their old way of existing. But that being said, they're, um, they're still mostly a bastion of idiocy in many respects at the moment. Yeah, that's definitely true. And this time we have a prime example from their daily email recently sent out with the subject line, the murky shoplifting narrative. Murky. So uh, in, in what sense are they saying that it's murky? Well, they're trying to explain that shoplifting isn't really the problem that people seem to say that it is. And in many cities, because shoplifting has gone down, so this narrative, it's its very murky. It's just not what you see with your own eyes. Okay, so what, I don't understand. So, it, so even if it is increasing in some cities, it's still not a problem? Like, I, I'm not sure. And like, are they, which cities are citing where the the shoplifting has gone down? Yeah, that's a great question because they don't tell us what cities it's gone down in. And then if you look at the article, the source that is used to substantiate this point is a New York Times article, 
which you click on it and read the full article. It's full of its own logical inconsistencies. But then they also surprising. Yeah, exactly. Not surprising at all. But then they also mentioned data from the Council on Criminal Justice. And if you click on that, the lead into the report says, quote, since shortly after the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Council on Criminal Justice has tracked changing rates of violent and property crime in large cities across the United States. So okay. to be honest, this makes the data almost useless. You cannot really assess a crime trend in the midst of it happening over the course of just a, f- a couple of years. So data from 2020 okay. now is not really helpful for us addressing this overall issue. Okay, so we have a very sort of short horizon for whatever data they're utilizing, right? But also um, the data... The data only spans the trend. So, okay, I see what Correct. you're saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, th- I, I don't know. This kind of feels to me also like it's part of this larger, like, liberal progressive nonsense that has been ruining cities with this desire to let criminals run free and then have the law abiding citizens bear the responsibility for those policies with either money or lives, right? And even just feeling of safety yeah telling telling people when they're feeling unsafe about crime that crime is not a problem is 100 what this is all about they're basically trying to make it out like the changes that are the result of shoplifting that people are actually experiencing either one aren't happening or two Mm -hmm. they aren't the result of shoplifting but rather a moral panic and they actually explicitly mention this idea in the article it, that like uh, it made me laugh out loud I mean and not in a happy way it's just like so true moral panic has actually been a large part of the liberal agenda whether it's attempts to claim that there's rampant violent racism everywhere that rape on college campuses is completely out of control or that every single woman on earth has been the victim of harassment or worse with all the claims driven by the me too movement and this is not to say in any way that there are not specific examples of all of these cases or to downplay them but the response has absolutely been disproportionate to the actual situation. So I guess, should we briefly explain what moral panic generally refers to? Yeah, it's basically the idea that there's some great evil that's threatening society and this drives changes to policies, behavior, and laws. But upon closer inspection, the specter of evil is just that, a specter. It's exactly what I've been arguing about with respect to the DEI agenda, for example. Like people are fighting against some made up problem that doesn't actually exist. Okay. So like we can use like the Salem witch trials as like a good example of that, right? Um, Okay. So, and as you're saying, there is specific reference to this concept in the article. And the, the idea is that the perceptions of shoplifting are like not accurate. So we're talking about shoplifting as though it exists, but in reality, it doesn't really exist. And specifically, the author says, how we talk about retail theft matters because these perceptions are fueling policy changes. Alarm about theft has led retailers and advocates, including the NRF, that's the National Retail Federation, to push for government crackdowns both on thieves and on the online marketplaces that may fence the stolen goods. So new, more punitive larceny laws have been passed in nine states so far this year, 
but whether these new laws will be effective at curbing theft is unclear. Well, it of is unclear because unclear. they just <laughs> were just passed, but okay. Correct. We don't um, we don't have data on whether or not these laws will be effective. I just find it mind-boggling that the way that this is presented is is questioning the idea that we should try to crack down on thieves and marketplaces that fence stolen goods. And right, again, like, the, obviously we should like what <laughs> Yeah, anyway. but Okay, so let's just talk a little bit about, again, this data that they're talking about. So there should be presumably some data. If retailers and advocates are arguing that we need to crack down on thieves, what's the data that the author is presenting that says that shoplifting is not happening? Well, so she doesn't actually go and try to find any data. Um, She instead relies on the self-stated opinion of her coworker as evidence. Coworker, so another journalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, okay. it literally says, quote, in my opinion, these policy changes are purely a sign of moral panic. My colleague, Amanda Mall, who wrote about the great shoplifting freakout in 2021, told me. Oh, OK. Well, if Amanda's opinion is that you know, yeah. this is something, then it must be real. It must be real. So um, but then, OK, to her credit, she does then make reference to some data, um, but Again, the data may or may not exist because it's not specified and it's not actually cited um, in this point. So she says, many of the policies involve lowering the amount you have to steal in order to be charged with a felony or increasing penalties for shoplifting. And then she says the data, which we don't know what data this is, suggests that these types of measures do not correlate in any way, in any way to reductions in theft rates. Yeah, again, most of the the data on like these policy effects is really it's really hard to interpret. It's easy to cherry pick, but I'm kind of left wondering why there's an argument in this article for us to not be motivated to penalize criminal behavior. Well, I mean, that that's the whole <laughs> agenda at the moment, right? And I mean, like to be fair if it's not the small time stealers who are real the problem or who are the real problem like that's fine and it, it's likely not right like so someone goes and steals like a, one chapstick okay they're not causing like a massive knock-on effect but regardless that behavior though, should, should I go yeah well exactly <laughs> like but that behavior should still be discouraged and then if it's the mass stealers who are causing the havoc which which generally speaking it is like we should absolutely have harsher penalties to disincentivize them like Right. And exactly you're saying changing it to like lower the amount you have to steal to be charged with a felony. Like you're saying that's not going to going to really hurt the person who's like young and, you know, just gets the hankering to like grab a little nail polish or something. It's going to target the people that are causing the real problem. But a full discussion of legal policy and its implications, obviously way beyond the scope of this episode. Um, But let's just talk briefly about this progressive agenda of decriminalization and its consequences. Yeah, so I'm not sure if we mentioned it in an episode uh, here or not, but um, Michael Schellenberger's book, San Francisco, is actually a great foray into discussing um, the ways that progressive policies have actually been like ruining cities. So one of the things that he discusses is these so-called harm reduction policies that view criminal punishment as an additional cause of social ills rather than as a solution. So and one example of this is where um, they set aside locations for drug addicts to shoot up without getting hassled by the police. And this is supposed to help these individuals in some way. 
Yeah, sheer idiocy. And there's so many examples of how this actually um, backfires and creates worse problems. It's like people have zero knowledge of basic human nature and the fact that it very much can be affected by consequences. The thing right. is, of course, there's always going to be some people who are going to act in criminal ways, but we should not increase the likelihood that other people will start doing it by eliminating or reducing the punishments associated with the behavior. That's like the surest, fastest way to increase delinquency. Right. And I'm also tired of this like Aladdin narrative that criminals are only stealing because they have to. They don't have enough money for food or whatever, basic essentials. They're, they're, they're not stealing food to eat. They're stealing items that they can resell for money because it's a path of least resistance to make money. Exactly. Okay. So let's get, go back again to this idea of a moral panic. They're claiming that the reactions to shoplifting is a moral panic. So is it? I mean, although we know that your experience and my experience is not the hard evidence we should base decisions off of, this seems like a situation where our perception is not likely to be skewed. No, I mean, if you go into nearly any like Dwayne Reed, Bright Aid, Walgreens, like almost every product is now behind plexiglass or locked on its display rod. And there's video cameras, there's security guards. I used to be able to grab whatever item I wanted, simply take it to the counter. And now it's like, I need shampoo, toothpaste, deodorant, whatever. I have to hit a button, wait around for someone to come and then give me the item that I've selected. And they don't even give me time to like, look through the options. I just have to like point and then they, you know, pick it up and go. Yeah. And then there's like that social pressure to buy it want because the person like took the time to open up the thing yeah but also like they sometimes don't even come out and then you're standing exactly there waiting, like do I go hunt down the dude that's clearly in the back smoking up or just leave and order the thing online the whole thing is a really unpleasant experience and stores know this yes exactly and to your point it, it is incentivizing people to do more online shopping uh, it, at the same time that brick and mortars are complaining about how they can't get people right. in so like it's just this increase of customer friction that they wouldn't be putting there if there wasn't a reason for it, right? Like there's a lot of companies that don't even want to put multi-factor authentication on mobile apps because that increases friction for the customer experience. But yeah, like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm Unless just telling I can you. Use my like, face. If my face is the second factor, I don't mind it because I'm not pressing extra buttons. Otherwise it's a huge pain. Okay, but you see like even, even something so small as like, an extra text message as a step right like Irritating. makes people not want to complete the transaction so like if if it's if that small of an added step is causing a problem then surely physical shops would not be making it increasingly harder for the average shopper to simply go about their business browsing picking up and purchasing items right like it, it makes no sense that they would do that without some sort of real cause yeah. Implementing these changes is costly twice. Once, because you have to pay to install the security apparatus, pay for the security guard, and then twice, like you're saying, because it's inconveniencing customers and therefore likely to reduce purchasing. Correct. Correct. So stores, uh, the Atlantic would have us believe, I guess, that stores are spending additional money to implement the, these protections. And they're also putting in place barriers for customers to go about their business uh, based on nothing. Like, I I don't know, like it's, it's all a right wing farce designed in some way to, to scare citizens or like get people behind their law and order agenda. I mean, it's not, it's not scary, frankly, it's just a massive inconvenience and a huge frustration, like for, for everyone who's just trying to shop. 
Yes, totally. I was up in LA for a concert a few weeks ago. And of course, you know, one of my nails fell off. So I had to go into CVS to get a new pack. And I'm waiting, of course, around for somebody to unlock the $8 item from the shelf. And on top of that, like one of the doors to the store was barricaded. So there was only one yeah. way for like ingress and egress, which always makes me nervous. It's like and a fire hazard. There. Like- and so like, we're really expected to believe that this is happening just because of a moral panic. Give me a break. Yeah, no, exactly. And then like, once again, where is the data that could back up or refute these claims, right? Like, I feel like the the data is the only thing that was murky about the article. Yes, there are numbers that we presumably should have to make these decisions that we do not have. And then the rest of the stuff is just nebulous. Right. And like, so they, they acknowledged that the problem was in fact getting worse in large democratic led cities. So such as New York and LA, right. They, they did acknowledge that. That's why um, we have to say that it's, it's murky, right? Yeah. So the New York times article that's referenced that author says the increase in shoplifting appears to be limited to a few cities rather than being truly national. And most of the country retail theft has been lower. Again, where are the, all of these numbers coming from? They <laughs> right, say according right. to police data, but police data from what jurisdictions, et cetera, et cetera. And then the exceptions are particularly New York city where shoplifting has spiked. Okay, so they want us to be comforted by the fact that it's only spiking, it's spiking, not yes, like spiking. not just slight increase, right? Also, like New York Times is a New York City based paper, so I'm hard pressed to understand why they're bragging or like citing as positive the fact that the trend isn't national. Like, shouldn't they be looking at why it is spiking in their own city? Yeah, it's it's very odd, but there's nothing to see here. Right, right, exactly. So it's, it just goes along with the current priority of making excuses for criminal behavior and then attempting to cover up the consequences of poor enforcement policies. Yeah, listen to this. Overall, shoplifting incidents were 16% higher in the first half of 2013 than the first half of 2019. When New 20, York 2013 included, or 2023? I'm sorry, 2023. When New okay. York City is excluded, however, reported shoplifting incidents fell over the same period. Okay, so for that data, New York City's increase alone can account for the overall rise. So that means like in New York City, it's increased by more than 16%. This tells you though, that they don't, the, they don't have all of the relevant data because it, it wouldn't, it shouldn't be the case that just it like seems, one city, do you know what I mean? It, yeah, it seems weird. I, yeah, basically. But, it's but New York very, clearly has a big problem, right? Of course. Like, yeah. I'm not saying New York doesn't have a problem, but I'm just saying like that in and of itself tells you that, that all of the relevant data is missing. This is just cherry picking from bad data to make a conclusion that in and of itself is very murky. The descriptor of murky yeah. should not be the shoplifting narrative. It should be the construction of this article. Yeah, it's so strange. They're literally telling us like not to believe what we see with our own eyes. So I, I should just totally forget that until recently I could touch whatever I wanted in a drugstore and I didn't have to call over for that awkward high school student to, to get me some tampons or condoms from behind a shield. Like, yeah, I feel like <laughs> I, I remember that. Been, 
condoms have been protected for a while. That's why that's why nobody wanted to buy them because <laughs> they were like oh, being wow. stolen in the nineties. But yeah, tampons, toothpaste, deodorant that should that should not be behind plexiglass. But like, no. it's not it's not even going to be the high school boy that comes to get it because kids these days are way too entitled to have a part time job. Oh, right. right. I forgot. I forgot that it's like, how dare society ask them to do some menial labor, like at some point in their life. Yeah, that's trauma. We've all done it. Hello, Blockbuster video. Um, Uh, That was the best job you've ever had. Um, Anyway, okay. So this might be something for us to tackle in the future. But um, we are out of time for today. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, As usual, the main article and some additional information is linked in the episode references. So please take a look at your leisure. And once again, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time as we continue on our journey to unwarp reality. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And as always, you can send comments, questions, or ideas to our email at unwarpreality at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, bye. Bye.